So just moving on, and since you mentioned this and you talk about the Goldstone Report, let's pivot to Palestine because the book is, um, the book, The Human Right to Dominate, uh, does this theoretical work uh, to provoke our, our thinking around the human rights regime and the framework uh, and, its, and its current manifestation. But it has, its specific focus is on uh, Palestine. And on Israel. And so you, you, just to pivot to that, you start by describing the beginning of this, that this isn't something recent with the settler movement invocation that they have human rights to as settlers not to be removed from Gaza, for example. But this begins, um, even in the lead up to the establishment of Israel and what you describe as a Gordian knot in the post World War II human rights order, where you have this three elements of human rights, the rise of the nation state and the element of domination coming together that reinforce the establishment of Israel. Can you speak a little bit about that um, and how you see this as, as, as the beginning of what will become a legacy? Yep. Uh, well, basically, as we said at the beginning, we were trying to challenge, challenge with the book uh, uh, mainstream genealogies of human rights. And in mainstream genealogies of human rights, Israel uh, and, 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 and 1948 occupies uh, a, special, uh, a special position. And, and, and in, in many mainstream narratives, what you have is this idea of Israel as a reparation for, for, uh, for human rights violations that happened elsewhere, that happened in Europe. And even if you go and, and take documents from uh, the UN debates um, uh, about the establishment of Israel, you will find uh, members of the Zionist uh, movement, uh, like Weizmann, um, framing the question of the creation of Israel as um, as a reparation for for human rights violations. Um, now, of course, those, those uh, human rights violations happened. Uh, the genocide happened, uh, but then then the question is to understand what happened again when this repara reparation is translated into a practice. Uh, what happens when when human rights uh, uh, are uh, uh, vernacularized within a specific context. And, and the Gordian knot is precisely that in the same moment in which uh, uh, reparations were institutionalized, in the same moment in which the state was, was created, those reparations translated into a practice of, of um, uh, uh, human rights violations and dispossessions against uh, 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 more than 750,000 Palestinians, at least, uh, so, um, we are interested in this, and we were interested in, in first of all, uh, debunking um, uh, uh, this mainstream narrative in which Israel occupies a special position. Israel occupies a, 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 a special position, but we have to understand why and how. Uh, and second of all, we we we... We wanted also to highlight uh, the historical continuities uh, uh, between uh, human rights and, and settler colonialism. Uh, so on the one hand, uh, 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 the genocide that happened in Europe uh, was, uh, in a way, 
the result of a broader history in which settler colonialism occupies a central space and place because settler colonialism was a central uh, and settler colonial situations were a special place, a special laboratory uh, for what then migrated back uh, uh, to Europe with, with the genocide. And then what happens is that settler colonialism is, is not in its uh, 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 um, genocidal form, but uh, uh, following other uh, uh, classical features of settler colonialism. Settler colonialism becomes a part of the reparation in a way. Weizmann is very clear. We want reparations for, 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 for what happens, and we want to colonize Palestine. He's explicit. Uh, the UN discussions are so explicit and so fascinating that uh, we, we felt the need to uh, disentangle the, the Gordian knot. So you would say that that maybe describes how one would describe, one would say that Israel has the right to colonize. So when it says that it has the right to self-defense, it basically says it has the right to defend its colonial um, holdings. Yeah, and this is something uh, which is not an exception because if you think about uh, about Locke and about the idea of, of uh, protecting the, the rights of the settlers, I mean, you find you will find something very very close to that. Uh, um, so I think that this human right to, nom- to dominate is not completely new, of course. What is new is, is the kind of shape and forms that it took in Israel-Palestine recently. So what, what you would not have in, in other forms of colonialism or settler colonialism, settlers organizing themselves into human rights NGOs. Uh, certain kind of principles of and, 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 and ideological frameworks of, of the human right to dominate were already there. What is extremely fascinating in the last uh, 15 years in, in Israel Palestine is, is precisely this strong and this clear constitution of, of, of the settler polity into, into NGOs, into what we call uh, mirroring. Because at the end of the day, what is going on is a form of mirroring, is um, as we as we uh, describe in the book, uh, um, these new settler colonial organizations for human rights and for the human rights of the settlers act uh, in, in in a total mimicry of 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 liberal NGOs. What changes are names? What changes are uh, names of Palestinians substituted with uh, uh, Israeli Jews? But then the petitions are almost the same, and and, and the techniques are, are are almost the same. They use the same uh, technological uh, 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 tools in order to uh, produce uh, evidence of of. Uh, uh, of human rights violations, they use the, the same kind of petitions, they use the same courts, uh, uh, they use the same spaces, and so there is a, a struggle even in, on, on mainstream media, and they are starting to, to publish op-ads, and, and, and so I, I think that, that there's something specific uh, to, to, to the last 15 years in Israel-Palestine, but there is also something uh, connected to a broader uh, history of, of colonialism and settler colonialism and the way in which um, uh, well, no, I think what, what, what makes it makes so it, um, um, 
maybe, maybe interesting, interesting and unique, unique in this case is that it's not it's just not the just state that's deploying this language it, on, on an international scale. It's, in fact, the settlers who feel very, not and not just the settlers in the West Bank, for example, but Israelis writ large who feel very entitled to a discourse of human rights vis-a-vis -vis Palestinians that's facilitated by a larger framework of uh, you know, the legitimacy of different forms of violence and what was later subsumed into the global war on terror. And so you have this, <coughs> you have the state, but also the people themselves who aren't mimicking in a sense of irony in order to undermine Palestinian claims, but are in fact mimicking from a place of entitlement and from a place of um, very, very acute, you know, victimization, you know, unabashed, unequivocal uh, victimization. And yet at the same time, and as you described, simultaneously, not only are they deploying this language, but this, they're also waging an attack on human rights in the form of what they call legal terrorism or lawfare. So there's this simultaneous invocation of human rights is ours. And when you, when you're using human rights, you're the ones that are using it, uh, cynically and poorly and in fact are the appropriators of this language. Yeah, it's definitely a, a struggle for the, 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 the legitimate. Uh, definition of uh, of human rights, and it's something that is becoming ex extremely interesting. Also, because uh, it's taking place in a way which is extremely. I mean, think about all the divisions, the traditional divisions between state and civil society, and then human rights are against the state. I mean, I think that all, all these distinctions are becoming blurred in 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 the context in which we 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 describe uh, uh, human rights appropriations are becoming extremely blurred because uh, because the state is funding these NGOs and these NGOs call themselves NGOs but they are not completely NGOs um, so I think that we sh also we should go back to 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 certain kind of critiques of this distinction between state and civil society and 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 settler colonial contexts are particularly fascinating contexts in which that the blurring of this division is uh, can be uh, can be analyzed and then of course there is this it's a dual it's it's. Um, uh, it's a dual movement. It's an appropriation and an attack. Appropriation and attack again. It's it's, uh, it's a very it's effective it's dual movement because, as we've seen uh, very recently, in efforts by you know the ironic uh, title, the Justice Minister Ayala Chaked, now laws that uh, aim to uh, not only demonize but to prosecute and criminalize human rights advocates if they are human rights advocates on behalf of Palestinians. In those instances, they become um, infiltrators and they become you know foreign saboteurs uh, rather than um, citizens. So that human rights begins to have only uh, one particular meaning. This is this is something very interesting. What is going on now, and it's interesting because. Human rights organizations became a threat without really posing a threat in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's fascinating, no? Because at the end of the day, human rights organizations, especially in Israel, uh, used human rights and, and human rights laws within, constantly within the framework of, of, of the Israeli system, legal system. Uh, 
So the threat and this threat and these new repressive regulations are not really related to a change of strategy in, 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 in among these NGOs. Uh, I think that what's, hap- what's happening is that uh, all the kind of information, all the kind of, uh, this kind of huge, immense uh, archive of human rights violations that they have produced, and, and, and even Palestinians, of course, have produced, is uh, exceeding uh, the space that is manageable by, by the state. The state is nervous because... Uh, the state and 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 the the the, the, the extreme right wing proto fascist NGOs like NGO Monitor, Regavim, and some of the uh, organizations we mentioned in the book are not able anymore to manage uh, this this uh, this volume of of uh, and this amount of information that have been produced with the aim of remaining within the system, but then, uh, you know, contemporary human rights activism, I mean, this is not something new, but uh, human rights activism is becoming uh, uh, more and more multifaceted, and the information that they were produced are circulating, new campaigns are being being created, new, uh, um, sometimes this information creates diplomatic embarrassment, Uh, um, sometimes scholars like us uh, can use the information produced within that specific framework and within the boundary of the state, but to criticize the state. So I think that there is a broad international transformation going on, and that's why why Israel is nervous. I don't want to sound too optimistic, but uh, I'm not. Well, I, I think that you're right. I think that that's partly why, or you know, predominantly why they don't necessarily—they're engaging in this type of work of appropriation and um, attack, but simultaneously, also on the international level, the state is delegitimizing human rights spaces as too politicized. And so, the moment when they become effective, uh, Israel then deploys, "Well, you're picking on us too much," and that attention isn't, you know, commensurate with our violation, but rather is uh, reflective of uh, hypocrisy and a desire to single uh, Israel out. And so they basically are willing and able to undermine these international systems as they did only uh, recently in 2013 when they withdrew from the Universal Periodic Review, uh, which made them, you know, which set a precedent when a state is going to withdraw altogether in protest, then uh, they created this new balance of power where other states had to coerce Israel, not to coerce, I wish it was coercion, but had to um, bring Israel back into the fold. And Israel made certain demands that it wanted met. If it was going to return to this human rights framework, it wanted to um, to remove, uh, you know, permanent agenda item seven on the occupied territories in the agenda. And it wanted to not be pointed out. And there, here we see you know, the human rights regime at work in order to maintain its integrity, the human rights regime needs to remain whole, even if it loses substance in the process. And so uh, I think that the nervousness is right. And that's where extra legal efforts beyond, you know, using this language beyond um, the actual legal institutions then becomes ever more um, effective. Yeah, I think that, the, yeah, they're nervous because the, the, there is a, it's a struggle also for the production of a common sense. And uh, and they are aware of the fact that uh, the, the international common sense uh, can be influenced by, by even extra-legally, 
by the the materials and the things and and the evidence and the documentation which is produced uh, in in merely for 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 the legal sphere. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. 